Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. Okay, this is from Ephesians, um, what chapter? Oh, oh yeah, chapter 5, verse 21. And further, submit to one another of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means to love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for her, to make her holy and clean and washed by the cleansing of the word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot, wrinkle, or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own body. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother, and as you join to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. We are kicking off this new series and looking at family, uh, family matters. And as I promised last week when talking about this, there are no Urkels in this series. Eh? Still got in there every time. I think I might just use it every week. Is that okay? No? Okay. I won't. Uh, Family Matters. We're doing this series looking at the family circles that we live in. Uh, Whether it's marriage or parenting or work, how do we live in such a way where our faith and our family live together in wholeness. And it's this guiding principle that we're seeing uh, in this passage that started off the, the verse in verse 21 uh, that Josh read. And this is going to be the, the verse that I think is going to break through every dynamic or every family circle that we find ourselves in, whether it's our work family, our church family, our uh, parental family, or our marriage family, right, uh, is this idea in verse 21 when it says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That that is the underlying or the common thread that's going to go through all of these family circles that we exist in. And no matter your season of life, whether you're married or not, or you've got kids or not, or you go to work or not, or you're retired, whatever it is, and you have different family circles, is that we would embody and live out this idea of submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. Because it's out of that sentence that Paul's writings then go into all of these family dynamics. And let's just break this phrase down for a moment, submitting. Right? Not a, not a nice buzzword in 2024. Submit. But this is a word that in a, when Paul writes it in the ancient language to the, to the church of its time, it's this battle term. It's this military term meaning to get things in order, to line them up, right? to, to make them subject or to arrange them. Uh, when my daughter was young, she would take all of her toys and she would arrange them based on size or by color or by different things. She would arrange her toys, right? She would submit her toys to the arrangement of Evie's leading, right? That's what, what, what happened. And 
what Paul is saying here is that could we arrange our lives, our attitudes, our outlooks, our agendas, our will, could we get it in order? Could we align them and arrange them in such a way? And we do it to one another out of reverence, out of honor, respect, um, out of fear, a reverent fear of God, saying, God, you are bigger than me, you are God, I am not, okay, and it's out of that position that I will do this to one another, right? It's out of respect to Jesus that I'm going to do this to everyone else. I'm going to align my life, my life in my family, my parenting, my marriage, my uh, work, all of these dynamics, and then he says, for Christ, because he's talking to Christian people. He's talking to people that claim to be Christ followers. He's not talking to unchurched people. He's not expecting unchurched people to live like churched people. they got to first fall in love with Jesus and allow Jesus to be at the center of their life. Then we arrange our lives accordingly. We put Jesus at the center of our marriage, or at the center of our parenting. We put Jesus at the center of our work lives, and then we allow that to transform and integrate, and it's out of reverence for Christ that we would submit our lives to one another. You see, I hear that phrase commonly of, how many of you have heard this? Happy wife, happy life. Happy wife, happy life. I hate that phrase, right? I hate it because you're just... You're taking a verse like this that says submit out of reverence for submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You're submitting to your spouse out of reverence for yourself so that your life is better. Well, that's not what it's about. We're submitting to one another because we care about who Jesus is and who Jesus says these people are. And my love for Christ, my affection for Christ, my devotion to Christ is going to reorientate the way that I live my life with other people, whether it be my wife, my kids my work colleagues, my church family, whoever it is. And so we're going to look at these different family circles this, this uh, series and look at how family matters to us, right? No matter what family circle we're in. This morning, we're talking about marriage. Marriage matters is today's title. Uh, and we have a, a a full spectrum of people in the room, right? Or people watching at home, people that are married for decades, right? People that have been married uh, for long periods of time, longer than some of us have been alive in the room, you've been married to your spouse, right? Congratulations, that is an accomplishment. Uh, that is great, keep going, right? There have been some that have been more recently married in the last year or so. We've got some that are getting married this year. Hallelujah, congratulations to them. In fact, we have somebody getting married in our church today. Noah and Tasia are getting married today. Yes, little family news. I asked for permission to share this. They said, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, Noah and Tasia are getting married this afternoon. Very excited. We've got other couples that are engaged to get married. Um, and we've got people in our church that have been married and are no longer married. We've got people that are single and they don't want to get married. We've got people that want to get married at some point. We got, right? We cover the whole spectrum. Regardless of where you're at, we're talking about marriage today. So buckle up. But with that being said, I believe we can all learn something. We can learn the beauty of what God designed for marriage to be. We can be hopeful for other people when they get married. That you see somebody like Noah and Tasia getting married, and we don't have a jaded or cynical view of marriage. Or we can see other couples in our lives, or our kids get married at some point, or grandkids get married at some point, or colleagues, or friends, or people that we know, people in our church get married, and we're excited, we're supportive, and we're not just like, yay, go have a happy wife and a happy life. But we're saying, go live in such a way where the gospel 
penetrates deep into that marriage relationship, breaks through into that marriage and permeates so that we can contend for wholeness in that marriage, health in that marriage, and not have a broken, short-sighted, or cynical, or worldly view of what marriage can look like. Marriage is a beautiful thing that God has designed and we should be excited about whether we're married or not or whether we've been married or not. And whatever your view is today, as we look at this stuff and what Paul says, it should give us hope for the marriages around us and the people that we see and the concepts of marriage. We won't be able to get into every facet of it. Uh, There's only one message, not an entire series on marriage. So we aren't going to hit every little detail of it. But marriage matters. And that's the idea today is that marriage matters. And if this scratches an itch and you want to continue to dive deeper, one of the recommended resources there is a book called The Meaning of Marriage by uh, Pastor Tim Keller. Great resource, great book. And uh, I have a copy if you want to just kind of look through it this morning. uh, You are welcome to, but I encourage you, spend $10 and invest in your marriage on Amazon and enjoy uh, just diving a little bit deeper into this subject. But when I say marriage matters, how do you internalize that, that statement? Because I think I, I, I came up with the title, and then I read it two different ways this week. One is I read it as marriage matters, like there's aspects or issues, or there's matters of marriage, right? Things that we need to talk about or deal with, there's matters of marriage. But then there's also marriage matters as in marriage is significant. It's valuable. It's important. And how do I live in such a way where marriage matters? And I would say this morning it's going to be both. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the aspects and and issues and and themes of marriage, the matters of marriage, but we're going to talk about how marriage matters and that it is valuable, and we can live this out, and exploring in this text in Ephesians chapter 5, how we can value this relationship uh, between a husband and a wife. So we're going to jump right in, in Ephesians chapter 5, and this is where we're going to live, is that passage that Josh read for us today in, in Ephesians chapter 5. We're not jumping around anywhere else. If you have a Bible, you want to just follow along right there, that's where we're sitting. We're going to just you know, put that in our slow cooker, and we're just going to marinate for a little bit. In Ephesians chapter 5, is that how you all marinate? That's how I marinate, right? All right, here we go. Chapter 22 and verse 24, Paul kicks off his his passage on marriage, talking specifically to the wives. He says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. This is a a passage that could easily uh, become harmful if misused and misread. And it's not what Paul intended. He, he's, he's contending for balance and wholeness in marriages. And he gives this insight for, for the, the women of the church that he's writing to in Ephesus, saying wives are, are meant to follow the instructions that their husbands lay out for them, right? As the church would submit to Christ. And think about how the church submits to Christ. Jesus is the leader of the church, right? Even Hub City Church. We're part of the four-square denomination. But in the end, that doesn't matter What matters is that Jesus is the head of the church, and we are following who? I lob that one up so easy for you. Come on now, right? Jesus is the head of the church. Who are we following? Jesus. We're following Jesus, right? You're not following me, right? I'm the temporary pastor of this church, and that, uh, you know, I will come and go, and someday I will be with Jesus, right? But you're not following a personality. You're following Jesus, and we as people, both individually and collectively, are following Jesus. 
Jesus. Jesus is the one that died for the church. He's the one that's leading the church. He is the one that we bend to. We are molded by. We, uh, we are shaped by. We follow Jesus' plans. We pray for wisdom on how Jesus wants us to be obedient. What does he want us to do in our lives? And we surrender our plans, our desires, our will to align with the desires and will and purposes of Jesus. It's not, Jesus, you conform to me. It's we conform to him. Even in the tough stuff that's uncomfortable, even when we hit subject matters that it's like, I don't really want to change in that, though. I like the habits and patterns and lives that I'm living, right? But we as Christ followers, we're following Christ, and so we are going to conform to what Christ's teachings and ministry and life say. Similarly, we don't just walk and follow Jesus when it's convenient or when it's easy or when we align, right? Like, oh, I like following this and I don't like following that, so I'm going to follow, you know, when it's comfortable, convenient. But as Ben talked about last week, if you, if you were here, uh, we had a guest speaker and he talked about following Jesus on the narrow road, through the narrow gate, picking up your cross, dying to yourself. That's describing what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to submit to Jesus, is that I'm willing to say, Jesus, what do you have for my life? And we do that because we know it leads to life. We, we know that it leads to wholeness. I'm, I'm willing to make changes based on the convictions I experience from the Holy Spirit and from Jesus. Okay, why? Because I know it's going to lead to life. And what Paul is saying is the wife and husband relationship should share some similarities to that, that there is a submission, there is a surrender, there is a trust, there is a following, there is an aligning that takes place. But Paul does not intend for this instruction to be leverage or manipulative or controlling. He does not write this so that the men get to just take it easy or as an excuse for unhealthy or abusive behavior. In no way is that why Paul is writing this. And this is where Paul now puts his attention on the men of the church. Verse 23, for a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Now, I'll just tell you, that verse does not sit easy in 2024. What does it mean that the husband is the head? It means it's communicating responsibility. It's communicating leadership. Men should read this verse and feel a conviction, not a, ah, oh, I just get to relax in my easy chair and the woman's going to do everything for me. And I think that there are men along the way through generations that have read that verse and misread that verse and said, well, I'm the head, you're everything else, do everything and I'll sit back. And they've used that as a justification to be lazy or disconnected or manipulative or hurtful or controlling. And that's not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is, hey, guys in the church, you are the head of that relationship, but that, what that means is that you are a leader of that relationship. You are responsible in that relationship. You carry responsibilities within your family and within your household, and that matters. A responsibility not just in making the big decisions. I think sometimes this, this verse gets pulled out when it's a big decision. Where should we move? Or I need to make a career change or, you know, big decision. You guys understand, like, those moments where, where all of a sudden there's a power struggle of like, well, I don't want to do that, and I don't want to move there, and I don't want to sell the house, and I don't think we should spend this money. And then the guy's like, well, I'm the head of the household, so 
I think, woman, you need to follow me, right? That's the prototypical stereotype of toxic masculinity where this verse gets misused. It's in big-time decisions. I'm the head, you're the rest, follow me. But being the head of that relationship, being responsible in that relationship, is so much more than just the big decisions or controlling what's on the TV. How many men got control of the clicker for generations, right? They sit in their chair and they're just like, no, we're watching this. Click, 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 everyone else comply. Some of you murmured and laughed at that a little too close to home. Just kidding. But being the head of a, of a caring responsibility in a relationship is so much more than the big decisions and sometimes the futile decisions. Being the head of a relationship means what are the men doing to be the spiritual leaders of the church or of their home? Think about that. What are the men doing when Paul says you are the head of that relationship? Men, what are we doing to contend for the prayer that's happening in our homes? For the holiness that we're going to contend for? That we're going to be a family that serves, that gets involved, that volunteers, that cares about our community, that we're going to talk about subject matter that's uncomfortable. We're going to talk about our faith and explore these things. That we don't just look at discussion questions and say, that's for the women. That's not my wiring. We don't hear about life groups and say, that's just for the young people or the old people or the male people or the female. No, we say, men, we are responsible for the spiritual leadership of our homes. We are going to continue to take responsibility for that. What about the emotional leadership in a home? Where it's not delegated to the female to be the emotional leader, but we are leading by example to listen to empathize, to ask questions, to contend for communication, regardless of your Enneagram, that we are able to listen and communicate and contend and share and get on an emotional level with the person that matters most to us. That's being the head of your relationship. Being the head of your relationship is not being just in control when it comes to big decisions, but what about the relational decisions, right? What are we doing to take responsibility and say, friendships matter, and my wife needs female friends. So, honey, what are you going to go do with other females? What do you got? You need some girl time. Go have girl time. A lot of guys contend for guy time. I need to go hit the links. I need to go play poker. I need to go to the movies. I need to go fishing. I need guy time. Are we contending for gal time? Are we contending for healthy relationships in a co-ed setting? Are we contending for boundaries when there's conflict? No, we're not going to allow those emotional infiltrations from the outside to penetrate our home right now. That's taking responsibility. That's being the head of our households. Contending that we aren't just going to sweep conflict under the rug. No, we're going to talk about this. We're going to resolve this. We're going to talk through this. No, I'm not going to let somebody talk to my spouse like that. I don't even let my kids talk. To, there's times where I'll correct my kids. I say, you don't, you don't get to talk to your mom, but more importantly, you don't talk to my wife like that. I love her more than anyone else on this planet, more than I love you, kiddo, right now. But that doesn't give you allowance to talk to her that way. Or if it's family or extended family or a stranger, and I don't have to be this brute, you know, gregarious caricature of a man. I can just say, no, 
you're not going to do that. Or no, you're not going to talk like that. That's me taking responsibility relationally within my home, within my marriage. The financial leadership. I am the spender of our family. Everyone's got one. April's the budgeter, the planner, the, the, the saver. I'm the generous. I'm the giver. She's generous too. Don't get me wrong. But I'm the, I'm the, I'm the spender, right? And I need to take financial responsibility at times to say, I'm going to live within the budget that we've created. I'm not going to go three times our Christmas budget just because I want to just buy a bunch of stuff for people. i got to live within those bounds. You see, being the head of that relationship is not just you get to sit back and take control. And unfortunately, I think over generations, many men have delegated that responsibility. They've neglected that responsibility. They've become unaware of that responsibility. And so you have families, you have spouses that are aching for their husbands to step up. Not just step up and provide. Not just step up and give me a home. I think that that's an aspect to it too. We've got some, some, some you know, we've got a generation or generations of men too where they just sat back because mom and dad provided everything and then they got married and they expected that their wife was just going to provide everything. Not just that though. But there's a void of leadership that's taken place. It's kind of like carrying a furniture. Right? When you're carrying furniture on a flat level surface, the, the balance is, is carried equally. Right? You're carrying the couch, you're carrying the dresser. It's equal. And then you start going upstairs. And what happens? You do not want to be the person on the bottom. Right? Why? Because the bottom carries everything. When you're going upstairs, you are now carrying the entire weight of that couch or dresser in your arms. And the person on top could basically just let go. Right? I mean, they're just barely like, oh, God, God, yeah, you know, and it's just awkward and uncomfortable, but they're really not doing much. That person on the bottom is carrying everything. And I wonder if Paul is writing to this generations ago, and it's still applicable today, where couples were carrying responsibility together, and then something changed, and it got out of balance, and husbands weren't doing their part. And so in a void of leadership, what did women have to do? They had to step up and now carry the whole thing themselves. Meanwhile, we have husbands that are spectating. Husbands that are just watching their kids in disarray, not correcting things, not dealing with things. Husbands that are disconnected emotionally from their spouses because I'm not that type of person. And women are having to carry it all, and Paul's looking at it, and he's seeing the same lack of balance back then. In ancient cultures, the husbands weren't required to do much beyond just provide a home and provide resources and food. Like, that was it. Then they could just do whatever they wanted. Men could just live their lives. There was no real structure and command within the household codes other than provide for your family a place to live and food to eat. And then, do as you please. Most of the household codes, any guesses where they were directed? In ancient times, beyond just what Paul writes here in the biblical sense, right, in the biblical codes that we're reading, where do most of the household codes of ancient culture go to? They go to the women and they go to the children. They go to the people that are in a more subservient or lower position socially in that time. They're told what to do and the men are just told to rule, to lead, to be the authority. And Paul sees something out of balance. This is we might 
feel a conviction that something's out of balance in our own lives. And so what does Paul do? He brings balance into the marriage. Verse 25 through 29, he, he expands more on this by talking about the husbands. And notice, he tells the wives to obey, and he doesn't tell the men to rule. What does he tell them in verse 25? He says, for husbands, this means love your wives. Boom. Let that just sit in the slow cooker. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean and washed by the cleansing of God's word. Don't rule your family. You are not the king of the castle. We love that phrase, men, right? We like that phrase of, I'm the head of the household. But that's not what Paul says to live. He says, love like Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? Through sacrifice. He gave his life for the church because he loved the church so much. He was willing to be crucified for the church, willing to be betrayed by his closest people. So husbands are called to give up their lives for their wives. You want a happy life, happy wife, all of that? How about give up your life for your wife? Boom. That wasn't even in my notes. That's just a freebie. but sacrifice. And what does that mean? Obviously, it can mean you're putting in the energy to provide home and shelter and all of that, but we know our lives are so much more than our homes and our shelter and our clothes. Giving up my life for my wife means that when I come home from a busy day or a hard day or a day where I got blown up by emails or phone calls or text messages that were really awkward, that I don't just have to be the person at the center of attention because I realize that my wife also had a hard day and so I'm going to sacrifice my need to emotionally process for her need to emotionally process. Oh, I don't have the bandwidth for her right now. Yes, you do. Oh, I don't have the time. Yes, we do. If I got the time to watch every playoff game this weekend for, this, for the NFL, I got time to emotionally and relationally connect with my wife. Am I willing to give up my agendas, to give up and be flexible for her sake? Am I willing to give up my life, right? That's how husbands are to, are to live. Give up your life for your wife. And to be doing so, and in, in, in how else Jesus loved the church is not just in his sacrifice, but in his selflessness, right? He was selfless. It wasn't about him. Because in, in doing so, in lowering himself, who did he elevate? He elevated us. Because it goes on to say that we were made pure and without blemish and we were made holy. That's the gospel, right? We are sinful, broken people, but because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are made what? Not sinful, broken people, but holy and pure and set apart and without blemish. It's a selflessness that in verse 26 and 27 is described. And in the same way, I think, husbands, we need to hear this and take this to heart. To be selfless is to think of ways that we can elevate our spouse so that they become radiant, so that they glow, so they stand confidently without fault or blemish. Selflessly making the other look better than you look. Making them look good. Advocating for her. Supporting her. You're asking her to trust you in decisions that you're making? Well, you gotta be willing to lay down everything to serve and to support and advocate for her. 
just as Christ did. And so a Christ-centered marriage is not one that is archaic and old-fashioned or misogynistic. A Christ-centered marriage is not one that is male-dominated or abusive. I, I, you can read those scriptures and you can take them and, and weaponize them, but that's not what Paul's writing. What is Paul writing? He's saying a Christ-centered marriage is characterized by sacrifice, selflessness, and submission. That's a Christ-centered marriage. That's holiness. That's purity. That's what God designs. That's beautiful. I've been learning this just in this last year as my wife uh, has gotten a new job and working outside of the church and in a, new, in a new sphere of influence. She's got her own time and responsibilities and job and all of this. And I've learned over this year a dynamic shift in myself going from um, competitor to cheerleader. And this is one way that I've learned how to sacrifice and to become selfless for my wife is to become her biggest cheerleader. Uh, she applied for this position uh, about a year ago, and I remember as she was thinking about it and talking about it, she was really doubting herself. Like, I don't know, I don't have this, and I don't have that, and I don't check these boxes. I don't, you know, it's kind of that insecurity comes up as you're talking with somebody. And I just began to recognize that and just cheer her on and encourage her. I said, well, what have you got to lose? Just apply. They'll tell you if you're not qualified, but just go do it. I think this job description is written exactly for you. And as she took those risks and said, yes, it wasn't because of my doing, but it was by my support that she felt confident to go do that. And then she started just slaying it, just doing uh, slaying in a good way, slaying it and just doing great and just, man, she's just thriving and doing really well. And guess what? My competitive bone kicked back in because I wasn't doing as well. Because I was looking at some of our metrics and the things that I was putting my hand to, and it wasn't getting quite the same exciting story to tell. And so what did I start to do? I started keeping score in my head. I started comparing. And then I would look around the house. Well, well, well I cleaned this. And I fixed this, and when you were away for your job, guess what we did? We, I, I, the kids bathed. <laughs> I got dishes done. I fixed this. I fi You ever feel that tension? I'm looking for affirmation. I'm doing a good job because this is not going well, and this is not going well, and this is not going well. But look, I'm doing something really good. And I'm trying to like show it off and like get her validation, right? But what else oh, am I doing? I'm competing with her. Well, guess what? When I'm around, things get done. And I'm keeping score, and I'm comparing, and I'm allowing my insecurity to, to creep in when I feel like she's stepping into my responsibilities and talking about things that are my job. Well, if you wanted to do this, why did you? And I allow that insecurity to rise up. And it affected my attitude towards her. And it affected the way that I would talk to her. And I, I, in full transparency, I, when I was upset or when I am upset, I can get quiet and just stew. Right? We got any volcanoes in the room? You're just like, mm, I'm just Mount St. Helens ready to blow. Right? And I'll just do that. And she's like, are you good? I'm like, yeah, I'm great. <laughs> or I become very self-deprecating. And I will make fun of myself as a deflection. Or I will uh, get sarcastic. Nobody knows what that's like, right? I get sarcastic. I get a little cutting. I get disconnected. I don't want to talk about your work anymore. 
So I just passive-aggressively pull out my phone while she's talking about work and start doing this. Anybody? I'm not going to tell her I don't care. So I just pull out my phone and tell her with my face that I don't care. I'm trying to make light of this. This is really awkward. <laughs> but then something shifted, and I had a moment of true vulnerability with some mentors and some people that I, I valued what they had to say, and I just said, I don't want to compete with my wife. I want to be her cheer, cheerleader. And they began to share, and I began to just, even just saying that was a breakthrough moment of awareness for me. And you know what? Something has shifted. And I'm having so much more fun supporting her than competing against her because we're on the same team. We're not against each other. And so I find ways where I can listen and I can encourage and I can just empathize and I can ask more questions and she starts venting about her day and, I'll, I, and you know what I'm doing very little of and it struggles inside as a man? Not fixing much. She's sharing about work and this and that and the other. And some of our, our uh, responsibilities, because she works for the Foursquare denomination, for those that don't know, there is a bit of overlap or some things where I would have strong opinions, and I do very little fixing for her job. I'll tell you, as a guy, that's just like, ha, ah, I want to fix. But instead, I'm empathizing and asking questions and listening and encouraging and supporting and validating and affirming and I'm having way much more fun because competing with the person that I'm supposed to be united with is exhausting. And it takes us as couples learning how to serve one another. How does your spouse feel loved? How do they feel encouraged? How do you show love, right? If you've never read the, the book uh, about the five love languages, that's a great resource to, to think about. How do you feel love? Is it quality time? Is it words of affirmation? What, you know, what is it that, that sparks you to feel loved? And then how do you tend to show love? I show love by giving gifts. April does not. And she does not feel love by receiving gifts. So I would buy things for her, and she's like, great, thanks. But what did she need? She needed somebody to cuddle. And what I hate, any guesses? Cuddling. I don't want to sit next to you on the couch. We got a giant couch so we can spread out. <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Anybody in the room agree? Hallelujah to that one. Anti-cuddlers in the room? We'll unite and start a life group. We'll all just sit apart from each other. <laughs> Words of affirmation is a way that she feels loved. Quality time makes her feel loved. We only learn that by asking and talking and discovering these things together. Learning how to process. How does... How does your spouse process the world, and how do you process the world? April's an internal thinker. I asked her for permission on all this, by the way. That was a healthy thing I did. So <laughs> she said, share whatever. I know you, you're, you're safe. Uh, she's an internal processor. She's pragmatic. She's logical. She's A plus B equals C. Me, I'm a feeler. I'm a processor. I got to talk about it. Oh, how does my heart feel about this? Let's talk about it till it's death, right? And she's just like, let's go. <laughs> Let's go. You've made a decision. Let's move along. But she understands that sometimes I need to talk things way too much to finally get to a point where I'm like, okay, I feel good about this. She's like, why do you care what you feel? It makes sense. Just do it. What energizes you? What drains you? Sharing and learning from one another allows you to learn how to serve and to submit and to 
to, to sacrifice and to be selfless for one another so you aren't doing those things in vain and in ways that don't actually fill them up. But it doesn't happen if we don't have those conversations with each other and put our phones down and turn the TV off and have real conversations about who we are. And here's the goal. Here's where it's headed. Here's why Paul would say, husbands, love like Christ loves the church. Ladies, submit like the church submits to Christ. This is why. This is the goal of selfless, sacrificial, submissive relationships is, is right here. In verse 31 through 32, as scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined with his wife, and the two are united into, come on now, a man leaves his father and mother joined with his wife, and the two are united into, let's go, they're joined as one. And then even Paul, the apostle Paul, the guy that wrote a huge chunk of our New Testament and did amazing things for the kingdom of God, writes this, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Selflessness, sacrifice, submission to each other leads to a synchronization of two people. How do you like that? Huh? Synchronize. We're in sync. We're united together. The two become one in this mysterious way. How do two individuals become one? They are so melded together. In passions and in vision and agenda and will and desire and everything, they are moving forward. My wife is on an airplane headed across the country for work, and you know what? I feel incomplete. I feel weird talking about our marriage, and she's not in the same time zone as we are because two are one, and I feel like part of me is missing. I'm going to go to this wedding later today and do this ceremony for Noah and Tasia. It feels weird to not have my better half there because part of me is missing. I even te told them that when we met, Noah and Tasia and I met to talk about their wedding. I said, April should be here because she's a part of me. It's like having a hand tied behind your back and trying to juggle. Just doesn't, it's weird. But that's the unity and the equality and the blending that takes place. And just like that happens within a marriage, that's what happens within the church is that Jesus dies on the cross, raises from the dead, and what happens? He joins us together in such unity with him, an unbreakable bond, a covenant that cannot be broken. I'm with you forever. That's the gospel. Married or not, isn't that beautiful? Yes. Jesus loves each and every one of you and wants to be with you and united with you because he says this isn't just an illustration for marriage, but this is the way Christ and the church are one. So married, single, divorced, widowed, doesn't matter. This is an illustration of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel. Jesus is sacrificed. We surrender. We experience life, wholeness, and unity. When we sacrifice for our spouse, when we submit to our spouse, we experience life, wholeness, and unity. It's a mystery how it happens, but our marriages are a tangible example of the gospel. This is the goal of why your marriage matters, is that when people look at your marriage, it should be emblematic of the very gospel that you proclaim and the gospel that you believe in. It is not happy wife, happy life. It is, I hope people would look at our marriages and say, I see Jesus. I see the characteristics of the gospel that they believe in. 
in the way that they treat each other and talk to each other and live with each other and pray together and make decisions together and just live in this harmony and this wholeness as two individuals join together as one and they're representing the very gospel that they believe in. That's why we do it. It's not so that my life feels better and feels happy. It's so that my wife can experience the gospel in the way that I treat her and that I can experience the gospel in the way that she treats me. And then Paul finishes with this last sentence. We're gonna land the plane here. Paul finishes with this sentence that wraps it up and summarizes it. Verse 33. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, we in English read this, and we say, well, those are two different things. In ancient language, they would have read that word submit and that word love, and it would have been taken as such a a strong text. They would have read that as strong words that were synonymous. They wouldn't have seen a differentiation. They would have seen a synonymous instruction to both men and women to love each other in this selfless, submissive, caring manner. Mutual. Love your spouse like you would love yourself. And it draws imagery to me, and I'll just leave you with this picture, of a drawbridge. It brings me to that imagery of a drawbridge that you have both sides, and they need to both be lowered down in order to function and have traffic go back and forth. What happens if one doesn't go down? It's going to be a hazardous road, right? Or if one only partially comes lowered, still a little bumpy, a little hazardous, right? But in order for it to function, both have to go up and down. Just as a husband and a wife, both have to submit to each other, have to serve each other, have to sacrifice for each other, mutually loving each other in that Jesus gospel type way. There's functionality, there's togetherness, there's wholeness. Just this portrayal of what a a marriage can be. And so encouraging us and thinking about for our own lives to live in such a way where our marriage matters. And if you're not married, live in a way where you know that the, the idea and the concept of marriage still matters. You allow God to replace whatever other view of marriage that you might have, that you would have hope and see beauty. And if you are married, what does that look like? to live like your marriage matters. Maybe it means starting to have a conversation this week. Maybe it's thinking about ways that you need to lay down your life, right? You gotta bring your bridge down. What does that look like for you? Thinking about how you might represent the gospel in your marriage, whether it be your actions, your habits, your conversations, your thoughts. Let's live as if our marriage matters. Let's pray. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com slash connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.